Why is a man who many call America's priest no longer want to be priest? And what new study is angering atheists concerning the happiness of conservatives in religious households? Let's take a look at this and other stories as we dig into the 511 News. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not black and white, not rich and poor. There are those who are dead in sin, and there are those who are dead to sin. After three nights of unbridled lawlessness across London, the contagion is spreading. The problem is that God has already judged this. He has judged murder already. I don't need to question it. I don't need to ask and wonder what his plan is. We're commanded as Christians not to participate in the works of darkness, but expose them. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And today we are looking at a number of stories concerning marriage and a recent story about a Catholic priest who some have called America's priest. Now, I know if you're Catholic, you may be offended by someone being called America's priest, and I certainly wouldn't call Rick Warren America's pastor or Rabbi Shmuley Botek America's rabbi. But nonetheless, a very popular Catholic priest by the name of Jonathan Morris has recently written on his uh, written out and asked to please be uh, taken down as a priest and no longer be a priest. Uh, Father Jonathan Morris, a former member of the Legion of Christ, who was at one time among the, the most prominent Catholic priests in America as a contributor on Fox News, has asked to be dismissed from the clerical state, indicating he wants to be free to, quote, marry and have a family, though saying it's not about an existing relationship. In a statement released Friday, Morris writes that the decision has filled him with newfound joy, though he says... He knows some people won't understand his decision to leave the priesthood. Quote, after taking some months of sabbatical to be with family and to dedicate more time to prayer and retreat, I have decided to ask the Holy Father, Pope Francis, to release me from the duties and responsibilities of the clerical state. Moore said in a statement, which he made available to Crux. Now that was from CruxNow.com. You can check that out on their website. And, you know, it's really sad um, because when we look at the scriptures, we see that this bondage that the Catholic Church has decided to put on those who would like to call themselves priests has really hindered and facilitated a lot of debauchery, in, in all honesty. they It's very common for Catholics, sadly, to fall into not only homosexuality, but pedophilia and, and, and different sexual sin as they are, are suppressing some of those things. Um, that God warns about. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul warns and explains it's better to marry than to burn. And some argue that that means burn with passion, as you'll see in a lot of translations. Some argue that means burn in hell. But either way, it's better to be with a spouse and be with them if you can't handle yourself. <laughs> Let's call it what it is. And what's sad is when it comes to this, you know, for some reason, Catholics wanting to forbid marriage uh, for anyone helping and thinking they're ministering, this has just caused a lot of issues. And I think the reason for that is because marriage is supposed to be a blessing. Uh, the church, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, that we are supposed to esteem marriage. It's something that we should look at 
and esteem it greatly. And that's specifically to the church. The church should be esteeming marriage. We should be lifting it up and telling people how wonderful marriage is because it's a wonderful picture. And when you forbid the very things that God says not to forbid, this is what happens. This is how sin begets sin. This is the, the church, the false church of the Catholics coming in and giving rules that were never placed there by God. And in doing so, keeping people in bondage. In fact, when we look at 1 Peter 4, it's a warning that this very thing would happen. In 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 5, it says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who, quote, forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Not only is it unbiblical to forbid others to marry, but Paul himself says... Oh, I'm sorry. First Timothy 4. First Timothy 4. Let me just correct that. First Timothy 4 in that one. Paul says in uh, Titus now, 1, 5 through 6, when it comes to the requirements of someone becoming an elder of a church, overseeing a church, we have these requirements in Titus 1 and also in 1 Timothy 3. And here is what he says to those who are over the church. He said, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed to you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. First Timothy 3 says, An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. Now, this, I believe, is specifically talking about not that they have to be married to be a pastor, but I believe what he's trying to say is they have to only be married to one wife. They can't be a polygamist. I think that's very, very clear here in the text. And I don't believe Paul is saying, here, you appoint elders as I appoint elders, but I wasn't really allowed to appoint elders because I'm not married. I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. But what is going on here is him making it very clear that people who are married can be pastors. <laughs> people who are married can help run a church. And so guess what? Already, we realize that this vow of celibacy that the Catholic Church has forced these priests who want to go into ministry to have is not only warned about in 1 Timothy 4, but is also not congruent with what Paul set out in Titus in 1 Timothy when it comes to overseers or elders or bishops of a church. And so when you diminish those things, when you diminish these ideas in Scripture— of marriage, it's it's really, really dangerous. And it's so interesting, you know, because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, when talking about marriage, he says, this is not a commandment of God. He goes into, if you're going to do ministry, it is a lot easier to do it if you're single. And that's true. I'm sure it is a lot easier to do it if you're single if you have the gift of singleness, as Paul talks about there. But he says straight up, this is not a commandment from God. This is just his opinion. So when we take opinion, even from Paul, right? We take this opinion and say, oh, I guess you can't do ministry now because you're married. 
I think it's absolutely ridiculous when we see that the same Paul who said that is the same Paul who required those who were married to guess what? Make sure they have believing children. Make sure they're good to their wives. Paul give Paul was unmarried and he gave how much advice, some of the most powerful advice that the Holy Spirit, by way of Paul, gave us when it comes to how we are supposed to look after our wives and how we are supposed to love them. It's so interesting that, you know, obviously the Pope can't be married and they believe that in um, the apostolic succession and they believe that Peter was the first Pope. But even though Popes can't be married, it's very clear in Scripture. If you go to Luke uh, 4, verses 38 and 39, that Peter has a mother-in-law. In fact, Peter's mother-in-law gets healed. And I don't know a single man who's ever signed up for a mother-in-law without a wife. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. I have a wonderful mother-in-law. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to diminish. I believe that there's millions of wonderful believing mother-in-laws and even non-believing mother-in-laws who, who love their, their daughter or son's uh, husband or wife. Uh, but nonetheless, no one has ever signed up for that job. Okay, without having a daughter, without having a, a son marry uh, someone else of the other sex. Okay, and also First Corinthians nine five makes this clear as well. It says, "Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, which is if you guys know Cephas is a name for Peter in Aramaic." He, that's the same name used in 1 Corinthians 15 when talking about those who the resurrected Lord appeared to. But it is just very clear in Scripture that there is no forbidding of marriage. Do they have the right to take a believing wife? Absolutely. This is not taking a non-believing wife. <laughs> um, I've seen people talk about 1 Corinthians and 7 and not understand um, the culture and understanding that, hey, you are – these are new people coming to Christ, pagans coming into the Lord. And after coming to the Lord, they're married – to a non-believing spouse, and he's warning him, don't you dare leave your spouse. They're sanctified in you. Now, if they desert you, it's one thing, okay? But don't you dare leave them, that they can be brought to Christ through your ministry, okay? A lot of uh, beautiful women in the Lord have brought their husbands to know God through what? Without a word. They've won them over without a word because the believing wife shows their love for Christ. And it's so interesting that... Just recently, a new study came out concerning believing wives, believing women. I mean, they looked at all sorts of different uh, religions and conservative religions and progressive religions. But do you know who came out the happiest? It says, and this is from the New York Times, obviously not a beacon of conservative (laughs) truth, okay? But the New York Times, and this is from their Twitter account, it says... Quote, it turns out that the happiest of all wives in America are religious conservatives, followed by their progressive counterparts. Now, this obviously did not make (laughs) liberals very happy. And I was looking at this specific tweet. This is actually from the New York Times opinion. And I was looking at this specific tweet and I saw there was um, a lady that I had read about a little bit and then seen her, you know, little sound bites. I thought she's really interesting and she's got some some good stuff and she's actually a pretty good follow on Twitter if you have such a thing. Um, her name is Allie Beth Stuckey. She is a contributor on PragerU, Fox News, The Blaze. She has her own podcast show. She's got a blog going and uh, she had a couple of comments that I thought were really kind of funny but true uh, in response to this article. She says, Quote, it's almost like God knew what he was talking about when he described what marriage should be like. 
Also, if you want a good taste of female bitterness, read the replies. And you should see the replies on there. Actually, some of them uh, you probably shouldn't because they're so profane and disgusting. And people get really angry when it comes to happy marriages and happy women within the Christian realm. And then she replied once again. She said, these people replying really cannot fathom that women who marry Christian conservative men aren't brainwashed victims and that they actually made a conscious, smart decision to marry a responsible guy and are happy with it. They think everyone has to be as miserable as they are. And sadly, this is the this is the truth. This is what I have found to be very true when it comes to the new feminist movement. You know, this isn't, hey, we want women to have the same rights as men. You know, what they want is the equality of outcome, okay, not the equality of opportunity. They don't want people to have the same opportunity, each and every person, which we would agree with. They want the equality of outcome. They want to make sure the, the fix is in. And that they get the same thing as everyone else gets regardless of work, regardless of whether you're right for the job or whatever it is. And when it comes to women, you have these songs like Beyonce coming out that she wants to be like a man, you know, that she wants to sleep with people and not care. And let's get away from that. Let's get away from every bit of, hey, what a a beautiful thing that God has created women Okay, that they have differences that I as a man will never be able to give birth. Okay, we recognize the differences in men and women, how God has created us and used us for his wonderful purpose. And when it comes to the feminist, I think that this is one of the most dangerous things that has infiltrated the church is this hint of feminism. And now, let's be honest, you can't be a feminist and believe in pro-life. Okay, you can't be a feminist and show up to a you know the woman's walk and have your own pro-life chapter. They won't accept that. They will kick you out. If you don't believe in murdering little girls in the womb, oh, and little boys, but you know it's a fact all over the world when it comes to murdering babies that when they murder the sexes, they typically murder the little girls first. Okay, So they aren't really fighting for the rights of women because they're allowing women to be murdered all over the place and calling themselves feminist. Okay, But also... They, a lot of them, sadly, hate men. And some of them hate men because of things that have happened to them. Oh, this evil guy did something bad, so that means all men are bad. And what happens is with feminism is that the girls end up being used. That's what's really sad. I watched a debate, and I, <laughs> I was trying to get through it, but there was too much foul language and, and disgusting talk in it. But basically, one of the points that the guy made up was, hey, check this out. You women are saying that girls should be just like boys, that they should sleep with whoever they want, and the men on the other side are just faking feminism. (laughs) And they're acting like they're feminists so they can sleep with you. And then they leave you and then go find a younger woman at some point to shack up with. And it's really sad because now all these feminists, they get used. All this free sex, okay? All this, let's go and make sure that Johnny down the street is paying for my birth control. Let's make sure they pay for my abortion, and so they get all this quote-unquote freedom, but just as we are warned in Second Peter, all that does is bring bondage. And, and that's what, exactly what happens. They have a root of bitterness in them that has sprung up. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to me that women aren't lifted up as the Bible tells them to be lifted up. That they aren't loved and they aren't esteemed. And that those who find a wife find favor with the Lord. This is what the scriptures say. The scriptures lift up women in a powerful way. 
and feminism pushes them down. They're just one of the others, and it's it's honestly it's honestly heartbreaking. And what happens is when you diminish the male and women and 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 blur the lines, you also start diminishing marriage and how beautiful it is when two people come together. Because marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. Over and over again, you recognize it is a picture over and over again of Christ in the church. Now, it's not a perfect picture. <laughs> marriage is simply not. Okay? It is a substance. I mean, it is a shadow to the substance of Christ. So when we look at marriage, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing that God has ordained, that he has placed there. There is no such thing. People say, are you against gay marriage? There is no such thing. Okay? I'm not against married bachelors either. There is no such thing as gay marriage. Okay? God has ordained what marriage is. It is between a one man and one woman. And guess what? If you have anything else, it's not a marriage. You can call it whatever you want, but don't you dare call it a marriage because it is not and it doesn't exist. Okay? It's like a, a – it's just absolutely ridiculous to think of it in that regard. And what's sad is that marriage should be this beautiful thing. Marriage should be this thing that is esteemed and I love <laughs> I love what God has in his word when it comes to marriage should be esteemed above all and fornicators God will judge. Okay, those sexually immoral, you just have to understand that. When it comes to something beauty, when you give a counterfeit, there's a problem with it. When we have the the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, and people turn the Holy Spirit into a genie in a bottle, that's a problem. That's a counterfeit. That's not the true spirit of God. So we want to make sure we're looking out for those counterfeits and say, wait a second, what is God's original intent? And when it comes to counterfeits, I think honestly— and I, and I know I'm kind of going back and forth here, but look at the Catholic Church when it comes to the priesthood. Not only with marriage, but the priesthood all in all. Okay? The priesthood that they have is not the priesthood that we have in Scripture. You see, 1 Peter 2, 9-10 through 10 tells us who the priesthood is. Okay? It says, but you, believers, 1 Peter chapter 2, but you, all those in Christ Jesus, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Revelation 1.6 And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's my Jesus. My Jesus is a blood, bought me with his blood. If you are someone who is a blood bought believer, you are a priest. It isn't because you took a vow of celibacy. It isn't because you were ordained by the Catholic Church. If you are a blood-bought believer, if you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood. You are those who God has declared his kingdom of priests. You are the people who have succumbed, who have given over to the will of Christ, who have humbled themselves and not be resistful as the proud, but have humbled themselves. And it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, that you gain access to his grace by your faith. You now stand by your faith. 
It says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the words of Christ. You have come to faith through the words of Christ and now know him and love him. And he has made you a royal priesthood. Do you know who these letters were written to? Do you know who the gospel was given to? The gospel was given to the saints. It says that the gospel was once and for all delivered unto the saints. Not who the sainthood that the Catholic Church decides who gets to have who, what saint did a miracle and all these different requirements that they have for them. The saints are those who the gospel has been delivered unto. You are those people, as the book of Jude tells us. The brother of Jesus telling us, guess what? He, we have been delivered the gospel. It was once and for all delivered unto the saints. This is who the saints are. We are the priests that God has made. Every single lover of Jesus is a sojourner, a wanderer in a land not their own, a soldier for Christ, a runner in the race. He's an ambassador. He's a reconciler. We're saints. We're priests. God has made us this kingdom of priests that we would go out and proclaim his gospel. And the reason for that is because he has torn the veil. And what's sad is a lot of Catholics, in all honesty, are the woman at the well still. Before her encounter with Jesus. This is, it's really interesting. If you go to John chapter 4 and read about the woman at the well, and you read about her, specifically, how Jesus reached her heart. Okay? Now, Jews were not to be dealing with Samaritans. Men were not to be dealing with uh, women and so forth. And Jesus knocks down all those barriers to reach after her heart. And what's interesting is how he does it. Because a lot of people say, look how Jesus talked to the woman at the well. Yeah, he called her out for her sin. Well, I don't remember that. What are you talking about? He called her out for her sin. She tried to say, well, you know, my husband's here. And he's like, no, no, no. The man you're living with is not your husband. Neither are the other men you were with. Okay. And what's funny is if you go back and read that afterwards, do you know what her gospel message was? Quote, he told me all the things that I have done. Her gospel message was the fact that, wait a second, this Jesus knew everything, first of all. But also, her gospel message was, hey, he called out my sin. Okay? How many times has that been your gospel message? That God cleansed you of your sin. I hope that's your gospel message. And I love that because the Samaritans that come to Christ, it says that they no longer believed her, but then Jesus came into her heart. And that's the same thing with us. We plant the seed. We may be water, but God causes the increase. Okay, so when we go out and share and proclaim, you don't need, she didn't need to go to Bible school. She didn't need to go to the Ambassador Academy and make sure she knew how to do the good person test. Okay, nothing wrong with that, by the way. But she didn't need to do that. Okay, she immediately turned and was fruitful to the thousands. Okay, that's powerful. That's really powerful. But that has nothing to do with what I am pointing at this text. But I do want to show you how the Catholics in this regard have the same problem that she had with preconceived notions. It says in verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you people say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to him, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation of the Jews. Verse 23, but an hour is coming and it now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I, who you speak to, 
am he. And I love that, okay? He tells, this is one of the first people that he tells, yes, okay, I'm the Christ. He tells the Samaritan woman, yeah, I'm the Christ. I absolutely love that. And he does so after explaining to her, you don't need to have this special scarf that you wear when you pray. You don't just need this medallion. You don't need to be in Rome. You don't even need to be in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Whether I'm in my prayer closet, whether I'm riding my bike, whether I'm in my car, I get to go directly to the Father. And this is the difference because Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. I don't need Papa as what is really what they call Mr. Uh, Mr. Um, the, the, the Pope over there, Papa Francis. I don't need him to mediate for me. I don't need Mary to mediate for me. I don't need angels to mediate for me. I don't need saints to mediate for me. I have Jesus Christ to mediate for me because he is the only one who is worthy. He is the only one who tore the veil. He is the only one who allows me with confidence to go through and speak directly to God, go to the Holy of Holies and talk to my God. I don't need this sacrifice or that sacrifice. My sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise to my God. And I wanted to point out something when it comes to not only that, but that now we've been betrothed to one Christ. And I wanted to point out something. When I've, been, I've taught high school and college age young men and women at the church for about eight years. And I remember I did a teaching on fear. And I asked each one of the kids, what's your greatest fear? What's your greatest fear? And I was giving on coming into the fear of the Lord and understanding what that meant. And one of the things that stuck out to me is, you know, most kids, they would talk about it and they'd say, oh, you know, maybe spiders or heights, you know, or car crashes, whatever. There was one girl who most people would not think of as being all that profound, but said something very profound. She said, my greatest fear is that my spouse would cheat on me. And I believe that is because God has given us marriage. God has given us marriage as a picture of our relationship with him. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, and while he was away, the Israelites began cheating on God and fornicating, committing adultery with this fake bull, even calling it Yahweh, the holy name of God. If God didn't get angry, that's because he didn't love them. But he did get angry because he did love them. If you have a spouse that would cheat on you, I guarantee you, if you don't get angry, okay, it's not because you have a good heart. If you don't get angry, it's because you don't really, you're not invested in them. You don't love them. Okay? Oprah Winfrey may think it's bad that God's a jealous God, but I don't. I'll tell you something. I'll be jealous for my wife. And I want to be jealous for my God, too. When my God is blaspheming among the Gentiles, okay, when my God is not giving his, getting, getting his appropriate glory within the church, I'm going to stand up for it. And when people are forbidding this beautiful picture of our relationship with Christ and saying that this is what you have to do to serve him and doing it wrongly anyways... From the start, the edifice of the Catholic Church is already unbiblical. I'm going to stand up against that. And I want to make sure we understand our relationship with Christ. We've been betrothed to one Christ. That's why he's, he's after the heart. That's why he said, if you look at a woman, you lust after her. If your heart is not completely dedicated to Christ and you go off to other gods, you don't truly, you're not truly with him. Make sure your heart is right with him and you love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Good Fight Mini. Ah, I'm sorry. I am on 511 News, and I'm Chad Davidson, your host. We thank you so much for joining us. And if you don't know Jesus, we pray right now that you would turn to him, that you would love him, and you would know him, and that you would see the beautiful picture that he has through marriage. Thank you so much.